Hi, everyone, and welcome to Coaches Clubhouse Season 2, The COVID Year. I'm your host, Nicole Auerbach. We've spent this season of the show talking to coaches from all over the sports world about how they dealt with the surreal and unprecedented events of early 2020 that inevitably led to their sport being canceled, postponed, delayed, and, well, just thrown into chaos. In each of these interviews, we've heard firsthand how these coaches broke the news to their players, how they reacted emotionally, and what steps they had to take in the immediate aftermath to make sure that everyone was safe and taken care of. The subject of today's episode is East LA College's men's basketball head coach, John Mosley. He was in the unique position of having all of that play out because it was filmed and released as part of the hit Netflix series, Last Chance You, which profiles junior college athletics. We talked about his thought process and how he informed his players that their season was over. The scramble to find scholarships for them without physical visits, the stress he feels to fulfill the promises he made to them, and the terrible uncertainty surrounding junior colleges and junior college athletics right now. Here is my conversation with Coach John Mosley. We saw what happened when the world shut down. We, we watched you guys get off the bus and we watched you speak to your team, be emotional about it, talk about it being your best team ever, how these players are going to be in each other's weddings. How did you prepare for a moment like that when you're telling all of these players the absolute last thing they want to hear and it is such a life-changing moment? Yeah, there's really no preparation for that. I mean, uh, it's really probably just speaking from the heart. Uh, I think I initially shared that, hey, I think I, we won. And what I mean by that is we turned the corner as people, all of us collectively, and they kind of turned the corner. And so I wanted to share that with them um, and and share the same message that we've been sharing throughout the whole you know, year. Like, we still got to keep going. Like, this is not the end of anybody's life. We just didn't get the opportunity to maybe finish a goal that, that we started. Or it, I won't even call it a goal. Nobody got an, an opportunity to finish. So we didn't fail was the message I was trying to get. We, you know, there's always only one team that doesn't lose at the end of the year. And guess what? We didn't lose. So, uh, so that was, it, it was just a, a message of, it, it was no preparation. It's just a message that, that was just from the heart and what I was feeling at the time. And, you know, and myself, I just kind of felt, uh, you know, I, I couldn't show it as much. I mean, I think the tears was tears of, of feeling like I, I, I let those guys down because they did everything. They finally came together in the last month and they did everything I asked them to do. They, they prepared themselves. They mentally were in a place where we were looking to be. Uh, everything was falling in line. Uh, those guys made tremendous sacrifices driving from all, I mean, just some of everything and the sacrifices they made, the coming together, the, 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 the attitudes and the responses have changed for the better. And I felt like I let them down because I promised them that if you just do what you're supposed to do, everything is going to work out. And you know, it has worked out now, but at that moment, it felt like um, I had let them down. At that moment, um, how many of them had scholarships set up? No one. No one had a scholarship. And so now nine guys are at the university level uh, out of 10. And we have one that had opportunities, uh, but didn't feel comfortable with those opportunities. And then 
you know, because of COVID, those opportunities passed. And so now we're trying to visit and, you know, make sure we, we you know, that that was it. But nine guys is pretty uh, remarkable. I, I didn't, I, I was literally in a panic. Like, there's just no way that I, I'm going to be able to do this or our coaching staff is going to be able to help these guys move on with the pandemic. Because now the guys can't go visit these schools. They can't build the relationship uh, normally. The college coaches can't come to our gym and recruit the players uh, like they normally do at the end of the year. They'll come watch them and give their final okay on if they really want them or not. So uh, now our players have to trust uh, building a relationship with a college coach or a college over Zoom. And so I didn't think that was going to happen, but fortunately it did. And I think it's attributed to those guys doing exactly what they were supposed to do. And so I was able to sell to people and my coaching staff, Coach Hunter, Coach Rod, we were able to sell to people like, hey, take a chance on them. And not only that, the kids, they had to take a, a chance on, you know, if a kid had four opportunities, he had to take a chance on saying, hey, I'm going to go spend the rest of my, my two years of college here, and I don't really know this guy or, you know, this coach. So it was, it was tough. It was tough, but, but they, it turned out well. And, I mean, it just, it just made, you know, all of it made for good. And I think as they listed the players where they went to college, I think they let me see kind of early. I said, hey, you didn't list all the guys. And they, they mentioned like, yeah, it was perfect. It was designed that way. They kind of, you know, want to just mention a few and not lose the viewers. And, uh, but nine guys. And, and so that's, that's an amazing feat in itself. And to me, that's most important. Forget the state championship, having those guys move on and have that opportunity. And you know what? I, because of the pandemic, so that's a plus. Uh, you know, it, it affected us. And I got a chance to sit and watch all of these guys at even the guys at Division Two. Everybody's got a live stream now, so I'm able to watch all my guys over the all over the country on ESPN everywhere. Play normally, I'm coaching the season, and I can't watch all the guys uh, at those weird Eastern time where the games are starting, and I can't watch them on the ESPN or whatever. And so I got to watch all of my young men play at least once or twice uh, this year that are that have moved on. So let's, let's go back one step. So, um, you know, you mentioned this, that you're promising these guys, if you do what I say, I can put you in a position to get a scholarship to, to get them to where they want to be. And how does, so again, we didn't get to see the state championship because it was canceled, but like, how does that event typically work as a showcase? Like how, how in normal, normal times, like how is, that the path for, for Juco players to get that exposure, to get those relationships, to get those, that ticket back to, you know, four-year college. So what happens if you make it to that state tournament, which, which essentially goes down to eight teams out of, out of a hundred, eight teams out of a hundred, make it to that tournament. So we made it and we're on our way up. And during that, so essentially if you win, that's just, that's three games. That's an elite eight game, a final four game, and then a final game. In that time frame, it's kind of like a gathering, just like the final four for NCAA, right? You get millions of people, they come to this one area. So the same deal with the university coaches. And not just, you know, university coaches that are recruiting our guys, but it's a gathering for university coaches that may say, well, you know, like some of the highest levels, Pac-12, may not feel like, you know, the community college kids or what they're looking for. But you know what? They show up anyway because they say, why not? Why don't we come and see if there's anybody we're missing? And so you get so many. You get almost 
these college coaches, it's kind of like a convention. It's the elite eight of community college. And then they have a, a one for the NJCAA, which is the other junior colleges in the country. And so they, this is a gathering place where they can all come. And they say, well, these are the best eight teams in California. They're going to have a player on their roster for us. So there's coaches that are recruiting our players, uh, but then they get to see them live if you make it to that event. And a lot of times, just by being on a winning team and saying, hey, you're in a winning culture because you guys made it, the coaches say they have a chance to see it live. And so now you got a chance for 100 to 200 coaches that won't see them live because, you know, because they, they got their own season that they're dealing with. But this one weekend, they get to go to this event. They cross off going to their own practice. They cross off going to maybe their own game as an assistant coach to come to this. This is our chance to see what the best that California has to offer in terms of community college. And so that's the platform that it has. You're talking about two to 300 college coaches all over the country, division one coaches. We're going to have at least one division one coach from two thirds of division one programs in the country, one assistant from two thirds of division one program. And there may be an assistant. The kid may not have been recruited at all, but they may be an assistant and they come and look and they see, wow, that's exactly what we're looking for. So that's the platform that you have. But up until that, the college coaches are calling me, hey, Mosley, uh, what do you got this year? Oh, I have this player, this player, this player. And they say, okay, we'll recruit them because you said so, right? But how often does that happen? Maybe I'll talk to 30 or 40 coaches throughout the year, but they haven't seen them live. I have to see them, send them film. They may, we may get 10 coaches to come out to see one player, but guess what? If we get to the Elite Eight, we got two to 300 coaches watching one or two players, uh, and it's a condensed environment. So that's the platform that, that we, you miss out on. Is there pressure on you in those moments where, because you want to, you've done everything you're trying to do from a conditioning standpoint, from a getting them to show up to things on time, like, you know, these habits, get their associate's degree, all of these elements, but then it's that moment. Is there, or do you get nervous for them about what they're going to, what these coaches are going to see? Yeah. Yeah. So everybody asked me about the games and coach, are you nervous? Why am I nervous to play? I'm not playing. So all I got to do is just give it to them to, you know, but I get nervous for them. You're right. And I think I share that most of the time. I think even everybody talks about the speech I had in the locker room. I was like, I didn't, I think it was a big deal. I have speeches like that all the time, but I mean, they captured it so well. And I told LJ, I said, LJ, you didn't turn up until I told him you were here. So that's why I'm most passionate. Here we are doing all this fellas. You came here to get a scholarship and you're cutting corners. Like, come on. Like you're, you're mad at me for making an extra commitment to get you where you want to be. And so, yeah, that bothers me. That's where I get nervous because I'm like, when a college coach comes in there, should I tell him he's coming and then the player tries to do too much? Or do I just hope that I prepared him enough so that the young man goes and performs and I don't have to say anything and now the college coaches want him? And that's really, uh, you know, we had several coaches. I mean, there were several times where coaches, they come to watch us more than they watch other junior colleges because we do have a good reputation. But when they come out, I feel the pressure that's like, man, I hope they're prepared. So not only do they come and they like our players, or they like this specific player, but they'll continue to come back. So now we have a reputation where they come back. So the next year they'll recruit our players. 
And now we have this reputation of moving players on. And that's, that's really the pressure that I put on myself. Not the basketball stuff is not, it's just preparing them so they're prepared to move on. Because when I recruited them, I said, hey, if you do everything I tell you to do, you're going to get a scholarship out of here. And so, yeah, I do put that pressure on me. And after the pandemic hit, I was just like, I just literally was stressed out. Like, I don't know how I'm going to do it because all these young men are doing well academically. They're all over a 3.0. Uh, you know, one our, our team average is over a 3.0. So they de- they've done everything. And they kind of looked at me in the locker room like, like there was some level of hope. And I'm sitting up here and like, there's no hope. There's no hope. But I got to figure out how to create some hope. So I kind of leverage with them. It's like, look, we just got to pick up the pieces. We got to grind tomorrow. And the next day we got to finish our academics. And then I literally went home and I'm like, dude, I don't know what the heck I'm going to do. How am I going to get these? That's literally what came to my mind. I was like, forget the state championship. Like for me, like if I keep coaching, I got another, I can win it next year and the next year and the next year. Heck, I can win five in a row. But for them, the missed opportunity to play at a university and get that scholarship is what I was concerned about. How long did it take, um, you know, for, I'm sure there were some existing relationships. I'm sure you were fielding calls, making calls. Um, like how, how long did it take for, for guys to have those landing places? Some of them were being recruited. So it, it takes telling some of those guys like, Hey, you need to take these, like Deshaun got his first offers from Sacramento state. I said, look, we knew we have enough relationships to where I had enough relationship with the coaching staff to say, that's a good opportunity. You need to take it. I don't know where this pandemic is going. So we had to push some to say, Hey, let's just grab these opportunities. And then there were some, we had to fill calls. I would say all the way until the end of June, which is still surprising to me. That was early. And then Joe Hampton went all the way to the end because we had stuff we needed to finish in the summer. And I was literally like, and it wasn't even about what's crazy is, you know, it looks, it looks good for the show that, Hey man, after all that adversity, look, all these players got to universities, but you know what? I didn't even care. It wasn't even, I wasn't even thinking about that. I wasn't even thinking about, Oh, it's going to look great for the show. If they get scholarships, I was thinking like, dude, if I do not get Joe, if we don't get Joe in this place in the scholarship and get him graduated because he didn't pass a class or so, uh, or he had to pass a class and he made some mistakes in the spring. Now we go into the summer and I'm like, man, if we don't, then it's going to be, it's going to be tough. You know, if if we don't, I'm going to let this kid down and he's going to have a letdown. And so that was my concern is to making sure if we didn't get Joe moved on, no telling what would have happened with him. I wanted to ask about kind of that line that you straddle. You you talked a lot about sometimes when your players were being the most difficult or the times you don't want to be there for them or when they need it the most. Um, but like, h- how do you straddle that line between like, I've really got to help this kid. And also he's doing things that are killing my team sometimes. Well, if it's a detriment, which is true, then we have to address it. But um, a lot of times it wasn't a detriment. You got to know, you got to build the relationship. And so, which we talked about as well, you have to build the relationship and then you can really know what's truly going on and why are they responding that way? Like, do you think that someone who loves basketball that much and wants to play that much is going to sabotage it? Like, why would they do that? Well, they're crying out. There's something inside of them. They're crying out and they want to, they, 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 they want people to hear what's really going on. 
And so because they're on this platform, this basketball platform, that's their opportunity to cry out. And, and because that's where they're most visible on this platform. So trying to find out what's really going on. And then as we go down throughout the year and as we spend time with them, we share with them like, look, there's other ways to address what you're going through. But for you to sabotage basketball, for you to sabotage what you, what you love to do, to share what's going on inside. Uh, you know, and we immediately stereotype, we immediately write him off and say, no, he's report, uh, responded a, a, a poorly. And we say, well, he's old enough to take responsibility. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But you have to show them how to be responsible. And maybe he didn't learn how to be responsible throughout the years. And that's what bothers me because a lot of people say, well, he has an equal opportunity and he's got to take responsibility at some point in his life. Well, who showed him? Who showed them? Just because somebody showed you how to be responsible. They showed you how to get up and make your bed in the morning, how to put your dishes and clean up behind yourself, how to respond to adversity. Somebody, that's something that has to be taught. When we come out of our mother's womb, the first thing we do is cry. That's because we want. This is because that we're crying. Guess what? We have to be told how life is not about self-pleasing you all the time. And you got to learn how to respond the right way. We, we got to teach babies how to respond the right way. And guess what? We give them a bottle, right? What do I do? I give them a bottle to pacify them over and over again. Eventually, when they start to mature and they start to see, now I can start to spank them and tell them, you got to respond. This is how you have to respond. Um, and that's, that's really what the, the, mature, uh, the, 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 the maturity level or the maturity pattern that they probably didn't get. And doing your research and understanding what they went through and what's going on in their lives is probably, it, that, that helps me understand, okay, when do I need to have tough love? When do I need to reprimand? When do I need to? And so that, that's all it is. That's the fine line is just understanding what's going on. I had somebody share, share reaching out to me about Deshaun's behavior from another campus. And we played them twice and they said, it's unacceptable. Uh, I didn't think that you handled his, uh, the way he was acting properly. And I thought more of you, I, I had a little bit more respect for you, but you allowed. And now I wonder how they feel now once they see Deshaun's story. I wonder how they feel now. Realizing the young man is highly intelligent, but to hear his story, he has not properly grieved you know, uh, we're just going through basketball. We're pushing through. He hasn't properly grieved. And, uh, and now, now when you see a story, you see why he, he acts out. And you see the level of stages that we're trying to take him through to get him where he needs to be. And they're better right now. All the kids are better right now. With Deshaun, I know you mentioned this in an interview, um, but I was wondering if you could kind of um, explain. There was, there was a moment that you said, I think, was your favorite or, or most emotional moment of the season. And it wasn't in the, in the documentary and it was with Deshaun. So w when was that what was what happened? Yeah. So, you know what, we, it was one of the moments where if you, if you thought if it was captured, you know, maybe, I don't know, it could have been good or bad, but they respected the privacy. We were in, we were in San Diego. It was right after Christmas. So it was still, you know, right after Christmas, it's hard to break away and go back to work and, you know, get back in a routine a couple of days after Christmas, everybody's still in family mode. So we played a tournament right after Christmas. It seemed like everybody's family came down, mom, dad, family aunt, to San Diego to San Diego's two hours from where we're at. So it was a drive. It was a full feel good trip. 
we stayed overnight. It's all like our one overnight trip we can afford in a hotel. And we're overnight and we play a couple games in a row, like three games in a row, back to back. And it's a tournament. And there was two teams ranked in the top 20. So if we win the tournament, guess what? It helps our RPI. It helps our rankings. So our goal is to go down there and win the tournament. Well, we win the tournament. After the tournament, we're in the locker room. We're celebrating kind of, we're happy. It's good vibes. Let's go, fellas. We just knocked off this team and that team. And we're getting in the vans. I realized, you know, huh, Deshaun didn't have any family here. And his girlfriend had went out of town for that particular moment. And it wasn't a big deal. He was still celebrating with us. But then we get in the vans and we're ready to go. And here we go. We got to drive back. Coach Rob is in one van. I'm in another van. And the, the vans are running. And so here I am. I hop out of the van. I'm like, where's Deshaun at? And I hop out and the vans are running. And I look in the back and, and he's walking around kind of in circles, crying in tears. And so literally me and him are going through all of the, the and not just his, the passing of his mom. There's so many other legal and there's so many things that I'm trying to help him through and help him manage because of the passing of his mom that I'm thinking like, oh gosh, what else is going on? Why is he crying? And he's roaming in the back. And I'm like, oh God. So I get out, the van's running. Everybody's in the van ready to go except for him. And then, so I walk over to him and what's crazy is we talk about 2019, December, 2019. And then, you know, half of the guys on our team are sick. So I figure, go figure what that is, right? We're like sick, like coughing and, you know, so he's sick, coughing. We're both <coughs> coughing and sick. And he just falls over on me and crying. And I'm like, Deshaun, what's going on? What, what, man? What, what's going on? He said, coach, I just want to talk to her. And I'm just like, he's just, I just, I have some questions for. And that was it. That was the, the only person he had to go through to for advice and questions. No other person, male figure. No, there's nobody. Yeah, he can get some small advice, but his mom, the true advice, he said, I need you. I just got questions for her, coach. And I said, yeah, I know. And we had a moment for about 10 minutes. We sat there and cried. And I think for whatever reason, everybody was distracted because nobody said, hey, what's wrong, coach? What's going on? They just, we just had a moment. And then I said, you, you, you can talk to me and, and you can ask me anything. And we, and then I share with him, Hey, you mind, you mind forever, man. And then I, you know, I think that helped him and made him feel better. They're like, no, nah, you got me. You can ask me we, whatever you need. Yeah, I'm here. And, uh, and then he got back, he wiped his tears off, got back in the van, you know, brushed his shoulders off. And then he acted like Deshaun again. He was like an old jerk again, you know, got back in, in the van. So, uh, so yeah, that was a moment, and uh, it's interesting. Just several moments like that, and the thing about it, it wasn't just the shine. There's 15 guys with those moments that we're dealing with. So they, when we talk about the shine and Joe and Malik and KJ, because those guys were, they they had the cameras on those guys a little bit more because they can't, they really couldn't tell all the stories. I don't think you know without it becoming too too clouded. Um, so by them targeting those guys, I share that. But there's 15 guys that had the same stories. I'm hugging and crying with, with those guys throughout the year. What does it feel like to be that person for those guys who, who maybe don't have someone like that in their lives? Well, I think because of my faith, uh, you know, it could, be, it, could be, it could be weary. It could be tiring. But then because of my faith, you know, I'm, I'm convicted to be compassionate. So the compassion just takes over. That's because of my faith. But me as a as a person, me as John Mosley, I'm, you know, I'm probably selfish. I'm probably, 
you know, want to just don't want to deal with it. I probably want to just get rid of it. But then because of my faith, I'm convicted to be compassionate, just as Christ was compassionate to me. You know, so that that that's where I think comes that that comes in. And then because of that compassion, it, it gives me, you know, the scripture that says, don't be weary in your well-doing. You know, and then all of a sudden, uh, when I'm tired, when I'm worn down and I don't want to deal with it, you know, I, I there's this just this this energy that comes up that wants to continue to support them because I got to realize that I just as I helped the young man before I got to help them help another one. So and, I, and it's not for everybody. That's not everybody's calling. You know, I'm not asking everybody to everybody say, oh, I've been touched and it's made me want to do better and all that. I'm, you know what? It's not for everybody. You know, that's just where the place that I'm in, the space that I'm in and and, and where, where I am in regards to my faith, there's this conviction to be compassionate as Christ was compassionate on me, man. I'm a lost soul. And I was somebody that was in the gutter and in terms of my mind and my, my heart and everything was in the gutter, you know? Uh, but I came out of that because I, I, I have this new perspective and this new, uh, uh, you know, this, this new control in my heart, you know, God is kind of controlling my heart. So, uh, that, that's where it comes from. That's where it comes from. So I'm, I'm human. Everybody thinks, be like, no, I'm not perfect, man. All those, the thoughts and all those things come up. But I think what what de- derails and puts me back on track is where there's the seed that's planted in my heart and and the belief that's planted in my heart, that, that that's what gets me back on track. So I'm not perfect. You know, Netflix, man, they did a great job, man. They portrayed me as, just, you know, everything. And shoot, I'm not perfect, man. But it was awesome uh, to see that you know and it was awesome to, for everybody to give me the feedback but it's not for everybody yeah what were some of the elements of your leadership and coaching i mean the, the 8 minutes of silence walk the taking the team to the cabin like some of those things are those things that you've picked up along the ways as motivational tactics when to push and pull is that something that comes innately uh there's some things that happened before but like it was just a feel it's just innate it was just you know, I just felt like we needed to do something. Okay. So that was, that was kind of instinct. It was kind of like a discernment. Like, I just feel like we need to do something. So, uh, we've done, I've done, uh, doing a retreat before. So that was out of the several ideas I had, I picked the retreat. Now I've done the retreat before and some of the things at the retreat I've done. But knowing to do it at that moment was something that was just on the inside. I said, we need to do this. We need to do something here or there. You know, the moment of silence, I don't know. I may have been at a loss at what to do. So I just stopped myself, you know, like, do I yell at them? It wasn't a time to yell at them. You know, it wasn't a time to run them because I don't even think I ran them. I put them on, whenever I say get on the line, that means we about to run. There's a punishment coming. But at the moment, it wasn't time to run. So I was just kind of stuck. And I just prayed and then I was just, I, I don't know. It just happened and I just stopped. Heck, I probably could have went long. And I think I only done that once or I think I only done that twice or maybe three times in the nine years that I've been a head coach. But so it wasn't something I was doing for the cameras or anything. It was just at that moment, I was just like kind of lost, like they're not getting it. And then in my mind, I'm just like praying. And then at the same time, I'm like, but you know what? It's not time to run them. It's not time to yell at them. And I'm sitting over here like, what do I do? Well, you know what? It worked out because it gave them a time to reflect. And they kind of were sitting there and looking like we're sitting here doing nothing for eight minutes when we could be playing. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it kind of, you know, so that was something that just worked for that moment. They, you know, and that's what I felt. Let's just stop 
and look at what, look at us, look at us. Let's just stop and look at us, look at, look at us. So first they looked at me, what is he doing? And then, you know, and then, then they had to start thinking about what transpired. Okay, what transpired? Okay, this person did this, we did that. We, we responded this way, that way, that person did this. So now they're replaying like what happened. And so I think that reflection you know, it was nothing that I did on purpose, but they just, you know, allowed to reflect. I, I wouldn't get it right the next time. And for people that tries the tactic, I don't, it's just a moment. I don't know. I didn't do, do it on purpose. So you could, I didn't do it on purpose. It was just something that stopped and it worked at that moment. I may never do that again in my life, you know, but it gave them a chance to reflect. I think that was the biggest lesson. They were able to reflect and kind of look at themselves as like, yeah, this doesn't make sense. We want to play basketball and we're complaining or we're not doing what we're supposed to do. Have players ever like it wasn't for them and left? Like I know, I know, like Joe. There's probably a moment where you're wondering if he's gonna stay and and kind of make it. But you're you're kind of balancing that. You are kind of a last resort for these people. You're trying to push them, but I'm sure maybe the push is actually a little bit too much sometimes. I don't know. Well, at the beginning, there's several young men. Like I think they show a glimpse of the first day of school. So the first day of school, young men, it was 24 guys there. And there were some guys like I didn't think Joe was going to make it. Me personally, just knowing, hearing the history and the baggage. But here's the thing. I am not going to give up on you. It's going to be you that decides to walk out of the door. You deciding I'm not committing to this. But if you decide to commit to it, then yes, you are going to make it. You know, you're going to you're going to make it through. You're, you're not going to fail on my watch. So um, there are guys in the past. Oh, yeah. I mean that decide they don't want to be here. But if you make it all the way through, then I guarantee, I almost guarantee you're going to get a scholarship and you're going to have a chance to to uh, graduate, you know, and, and get a degree. What do you think kind of viewers have taken away about the junior college system and kind of it's in the, the place that it has within basketball, but also just as as a lifeline for so many players? Yeah, well, what's great about the show is it's, it's a lost, uh, you know, nobody talks about the community college. And so I'm grateful that we get a chance to, to spotlight the community colleges and share the journey of the community. Cause we see the four years and we've, we've had high schools that have been documented because, and then we got families that are supporting and following the high school journey. And then at the university level, we got the student body and we have television that document, but we get a documentation of and, and we get to see the community college level and the journey and to give the viewers a clear picture of not just the, the California or the, the, the JUCO journey that's, you know, some of they get scholarships, but the JUCO journey that does not have scholarships. So we don't have scholarships. So these are guys that are making a decision to be here. And some of them are here because of some of the mistakes that they've made. Some of them are here because they weren't prepared academically or athletically. Some of them are here because like Deshaun, he was at a university doing well. And then he came home because his mom uh, passed of cancer or had stage four cancer. So those are all different things that um, that are happening. And so for people to see the diverse situations that are happening and realize like at the four year level, mo all, most, if not all, have earned the right to be there. They earned a scholarship. They've academically done what it took to make it to that level. You know, so the community colleges accepts everybody like in California, you don't have to get a high school diploma to go to a California community college. 
But at the university, you have to have a high school diploma. So you can almost be, you know, in the gutter and still go to the community college. You know, incarcerated students can come to the community college. There's a whole uh, gamut of people uh, at different levels um, that, that, can, that can come to the community college. And to see that journey and to see these, these guys have success is, is something that, uh, uh, that's, that's, that's beautiful to see the success stories, but also to see the journeys and to see what they have to deal with and the baggage and, and the drama. And for those who are in positions, I'm not the only one, but there's some that are, that, that are doing the same thing I'm doing. I'll just have the platform for people to see. What is the state of, of the program? I know, you know, you didn't have the season for, for 2020 to 2021. I, I'm sure, you know, that, that from a financial standpoint, like these are already, you know, strapped, um, you know, from a resource standpoint, how are things as, as we sit here in April, 2021 with, with your program? Well, as we know, California is the worst. Um, <clears throat> and then you trickle down and Los Angeles is the absolute worst in LA County in terms of uh, how it was handled in regards to engaging people and engaging our population again. So to me, uh, that, this is the most frustrating time that I've had in my whole career because my life has been about, or my journey here, at least at this college, has been about helping these young men move on and transfer. And they've been abandoned. They've been absolutely abandoned. Uh, I'm sitting here with you, Nicole, because I still haven't been able to get on campus. I still haven't been able to walk in to the facility, engage the students. So the, the new Joe Hamptons, the new Deshaun Heilers, I have not seen them yet. I've been with them for a year. I recruited them to be here. And so to try to handle those issues and those problems on Zoom, it's, it's just, and all we're asking for is just to engage. I'm not asking to play basketball games or do any of that. I'm asking to engage. So that's the state of it. And from what I know now, uh, not only did the state of California give us our deferred money that we were supposed to defer, but not only that, but we've gotten money from the, the government uh, to help us not only maintain, but to move forward and, and for student augmentation to make sure we don't lose students. And so we've gotten millions to support that. And yet we still haven't seen, uh, you know, we still haven't seen those, those resources. Now, I don't know the politics behind why we can't get back and use the, the funding and the resources that we've been given to execute uh, a safe, uh, plan to return. We're in a tier now where we can return and we're still not returned. We're in a tier now where at every level we can return and be safe. And I mean, we're almost, we're almost ready to go, but here we are. We, we're still here. Now, I don't know the politics behind it. Maybe it's unions, maybe it's whatever, but all I know is the young men that need help the most are suffering. And we, we're here in this day and age where we got these, all these interest groups we have all these groups popping up saying, let's help these young African-American, you know, Black Lives Matter. Uh, let's help minority young men. Uh, you know, we don't need a stimulus check. I need you to open a gym, you know, a, 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 a stipend for $300 to help them go get food is great. But you know what these young men need more than anything else um, in terms of the, the, men, the young men I deal with? We need access. We need access to the resources that our tax dollars pay for. That's what we need access to so that these young men can come out of these situations. Well, make them go to school and get their education. Well, you know what? Because of the circumstances that, they, that they've been in, 
they've invested their lives into this cohort model, which is basketball. This is not just play basketball at the park, at the YMCA, and give you a trophy. No, they've invested their lives, and this is how they invested their lives to get themselves educated, to get themselves to pay for college. And now the doors are shut. And so to me, it's a disappointing disappointment, is frustration, and the frustration is, is trickling over into anger. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And that'll be probably the only negative message I have here. And I'm, I'm super frustrated because I can't do anything for the young man right now. Well, we can, we can end on that note and that plea because, um, you know, we hope that you're able to get access to them and, and to start working with them and, and helping them um, the way that we saw in, in this documentary. And I just thought it was, it was really touching, inspiring, frustrating, and just real. And so I appreciate you coming on and making some time, Coach. Um, wish you the best of luck and hope you, hope you really hope you do get to see your guys again really soon. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. That was my conversation with East LA College men's basketball coach, John Mosley. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Coaches Clubhouse is also available on the SiriusXM app, free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. Coaches Clubhouse is part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Sound design by Robert Moore. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. And special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President for Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen. Sirius XM Podcasts.